let us pray. So, Father, we ask that the world may know that we are truly Christians by our love. Love for one another. Love for those who are in the world who don't yet know Christ. And, Father, most of all, love for you. Loving you, the one who has first loved us. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all the men of the church, and we will be praying for the men a little bit later here in the service. I do want to send a warm welcome to everyone who's here this morning, though. And um, Father Jed is on vacation both today and next Sunday, and he's um, away but recovering from Camp Booyah as well. Our students had a wonderful time there, and so well-deserved time of rest. I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them or reach for one of the Bibles under your seat in the pew and turn to Psalm 1. The readings today are not the appointed readings for the um, for this Sunday, they're actually one of the readings, sets of readings for the week after Trinity, but I very much, much have felt drawn to preach from Psalm 1 this morning, to spend our time looking at this psalm. Psalm 1 is a short psalm. The poet writer is not identified, and Psalm 1 takes us back to some foundational basic principles about walking with God. How many of you know, no matter how much you've, how long you've walked with the Lord, how long you've been serving the Lord, that it's always good to go back and refresh ourselves regarding the basics, to go back to those foundational truths and make sure we stay completely anchored and tethered to them. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1 is about trusting and obeying God. And in a sense, Psalm 1 also serves as an introductory psalm, setting the foundational trajectory for all that follows in this great book of God-given poetry. So we begin looking at Psalm 1. I want to talk about the path before us. Verses 1 and 2 of, one and two of Psalm 1 begin with these words. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman. That would be applied to both there. Some translators validly also translate this. Happy is the man or woman. And this statement presumes the context as we start looking at this psalm of a living, active relationship with God. And that is absolutely necessary for all that we are talking about here. Psalm 1 teaches us that true godly happiness or true blessing in God is not automatic. Rather, within our relationship with God, true blessing and happiness, at least in part, are the result of activity. Now hear me. I am not talking about earning our salvation. I am not talking about works righteousness. Rather, I'm speaking here, as this psalm does, of certain ways of ordering and living out our lives that focus on God, that honor God, that align with God's heart and God's priorities. We're talking here about a well-ordered life of godly habits. And that is a good and godly thing, not something negative. There's far too much talk in the Christian culture, particularly in the United States, about, well, do whatever you feel like doing. And if you don't feel like doing it, then don't do it. As if somehow doing something that we don't feel like doing in the moment or disciplining ourselves to do something is legalistic. That's not what legalism is. Legalism is about earning our salvation. We're not talking about that. 
But the idea of engaging in a godly discipline like prayer or study of scripture or Christian meditation or fasting or coming together on Sunday for public worship, yes, that is a discipline too, are things we should do even when we don't feel like doing it in our flesh. Those of you who exercise and work out on it with any regularity, I, sometimes you don't feel like doing that. And yet you do because you know it's a good thing to do and it's good for your body. And the same is true spiritually. Sometimes we don't feel like engaging in godly disciplines, but that's why they're called disciplines. We do those things even when our flesh doesn't want to do them so that we grow in obedience and the life of God is nourished within us. In one sense, blessing in our faith life, as a talk is spoken of here in Psalm 1, is found by avoidance. Look at verse 1 with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Not walking in the counsel of the wicked or ungodly. Not standing together in the way or living like sinners, those who don't know Christ. Not sitting in the seat of the scoffers. These three phrases here in verse 1 touch on three different aspects of life. Not walking in the counsel of the wicked is about ways of thinking and being. Accepting the advice or counsel of the world over and above the truth of God or not doing this. Standing in the way of sinners is about our ways, our actions, our behaviors. Are we going to be party to the world's way of doing things and the thinking of the world? Or are we going to align ourselves with God and the heart of God and the priorities of his kingdom? Finally, sitting in the seat of scoffers is about the attitude of one's heart. Someone who scoffs, a scoffer, is a person who stiff-arms God and his truth. It's not, scoffing is not just avoiding or ignoring the truth. Rather, scoffing is an open disdain for and not mocking of the eternal truth of God. And Proverbs 3.34 warns us toward the scorners, he, meaning God, is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. You see, scornfulness is rooted in human pride. It's rooted in the idea, I know better than God. Being a scorn, scornful or a scoffer can also be a way of trying to ignore or drown out the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If I can just push hard enough against God, if I can holler and have my way loud enough, then I can drown out the convicting voice of God. And while I don't want to take this too far, there is also a, clearly a progression here. Listening to the counsel of the wor world rather than the counsel of God leads to actions, choices, and behaviors, ways of doing things that reflect the distorted values and priorities of this world rather than the ways of Christ and his kingdom of which we are citizens as believers. And ungodly patterns of behavior, ungodly ways of doing things over time lead to a corruption of our hearts and spirits 
of our very innermost being. We must never allow our hearts to get to the place where we scorn or scoff at God's righteous truth, no matter how convicting it may be. Because to get to that place is an incredibly serious and even a fearful thing. But the Christian life, abundant life, and intimate fellowship with God is much more than being about not doing something. Hear that? It's not just about not doing things. It's not a list of don'ts. It's not about engaging in certain behaviors and ways of thinking, yes. But it's not simply about emptying ourselves of ungodly things. Look at verse 2 with me. But his delight meaning the blessed man, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You see, in opening our, in emptying ourselves, rather, of the ways of doing, thinking, and being in the world around us, we open our lives and we make space in our lives for God and his truth to be at work inside of us in ever-increasing measure. See, the more we make space by emptying out the clutter and the garbage and the ungodly things of this world, the more space there is for God to fill our lives with his presence. And we delight in God's law. God's law here by implication is much more than just the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. What, God's, what Psalm 1 speaks of here is actually, it actually encompasses all of God's word. All of the Bible. Because we, as we grow in Christ, find delight, joy, and pleasure in God and in his truth. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury in the 15th, or excuse me, the 16th century, wrote pretty much all of the collects that we find for every Sunday in the Book of Common Prayer for the whole Christian year. And while the wording has been updated a little bit to get away from Elizabethan English and put it in more modern language, they're still the same in their essence. But referring to God's word, the second, the collect for the second Sunday in Advent says this as we pray every year in the second Sunday in Advent. Blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us to hear them, Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The prayer is grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Inwardly digest God's word. So in contrast to becoming more like the world, we become more and more like God in our ways of thinking and being and doing. And the truth of God works its way down deep into the core of who we are, into our very innermost being. It becomes part of who we are, the core, the essence of our being. Proverbs 1, 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. When we speak of fear here in terms of the believer, in terms of the child of God, we're not talking about terror. We're talking about 
awe and reverence. And when we apply these truths, our fear, our reverent fear of the Lord transforms our daily living and we are blessed. I want to do a little digression here and talk about this idea of blessing for just a moment because there's such a skewed understanding of what the blessing of God looks like in the church in the United States and the Western world. We are indeed blessed in Christ. But blessing does not equate with material prosperity. Did you hear that? And I know you'll say Scott's on his soapbox again, but I think this bears repeating on a regular basis because this, not the garbage you see on some television channels, with, but, but in much more subtle and insidious ways, this idea of the prosperity gospel has crept into the thinking in the church in the Western world far more than we ever realize. So where we equate, if we work hard and we do what is right, therefore we will be wealthy, we will prosper. That is not scriptural. Yes, sometimes God does bless us, but go tell that to a day laborer living in a two-thirds world country who loves Jesus just as much or maybe even more than you and I do and works incredibly hard every day and works hard for the glory of God. And you know what? They might make ends meet, but they're never going to be rich. Tell that to them. Or in contrast, do you think a, a Latin American drug lord is godly because they're wealthy? It's not the blessing of God. It's the, it's the fruit of corruption and a debauched life. Let's not get this stuff mixed up. Yes, God calls us to work hard. God calls us to honor him in all that we do. That doesn't guarantee that we're going to be wealthier, that everything in life is going to go smoothly. Bishop Felix Origi, who is one of the bishops in the Church of Nigeria in North America, one of our sister fellowships, um, basically under the Church of Nigeria with congregations for Nigerian brothers and sisters in the Anglican world here in the United States, in a pastoral letter a few years ago wrote, addressing this very issue because unfortunately this prosperity nonsense has been imported from the United States to much of the African church. And it's something our brothers and sisters deal with over there on a regular basis. And it's wreaked havoc on some congregations. But Bishop Felix says this, it is not faithful Christian ministry to avoid preaching the full counsel of God which includes Bible passages that call us to trust God for his grace and blessings, as well as Bible passages that call us to obey his commands. Preaching the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, is not biblical or faithful or Christian ministry. The prosperity gospel asserts that it is God's will to bless you with good health, happiness, wealth, and anything you believe you must have if you have enough faith to trust God and decree it by your spoken words. Worse than that heretical assertion is that you don't have enough faith to decree, if you don't have enough faith to decree those things into existence, you will not receive such blessings. The prosperity gospel misrepresents God and promotes greed and materialism. It puts our personal needs above our spiritual needs, above the worship of God and his true mission. 
It is biblically untrue, pastorally cruel, and misdirects people from Christ and his saving gospel to personal well-being. It turns our relationship with God into a quid pro quo relationship wherein God gives to us according to how much we give him. A total denial of saving grace from a gracious God who loved us and saved us when we hated him. Let me be clear. God wants to bless us in many ways, but sometimes he allows us to go through suffering for our own good and for the sake of others. That's what he did to the Apostle Paul, our Lord Jesus Christ, the martyrs and Christians across the centuries, despite their strong faith and faithfulness. It is biblical to pray for healings and blessings, trusting God to bless us in accordance, in accordance with his providence. It is not biblical to teach that God is obligated to prosper you with wealth, health, and happiness because you have enough faith. This has done much damage to individuals in the body of Christ. In contrast, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5 about the blessings of God's kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. God indeed calls us to live fully into his grace and truth and to experience the true blessings of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, blessings which are incorruptible. Secondly, Psalm 1 talks about the fruit of life in verses 3 through 4. There is ongoing fruit that comes with the godly choices that we're talking about. Look at verses 3 through 4 with me. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. God promises us as we look to him and trust him that he will make us to be like a tree planted by a stream. The picture here is of continual nourishment from the water and the nutrients that are in that stream. And that, that tree is nourished continually. Using my gardening illustration, I say it's kind of like God's drip irrigation system that, that nourishes us constantly, continually, round the clock. The second thing we see here is that our roots need to go deep. And going back to my talk of growing dahlias, and those of you that may be new today, I'm a pretty avid dahlia grower and show dahlias and that sort of thing. But, but dahlias have two kinds of roots. They have the tubers, which are the big tap roots that go down into the ground. But then off of those tubers and off of the top, the crown of the tubers where the, the stem or the stalk begins, you have feeder roots that go out as well. And those feeder roots go out and they pull in the nutrients and then transfer them both up into the plant, but down into the tubers, the tap roots, where nutrients and nourishment and strength is stored. And those tubers are what you dig up at the end of the year and divide to make and multiply new plants the following year. And that's what God does in us. As we, we draw in from his truth, we grow outwardly and our roots go deep as well. 
And we see this tree that Psalm 1 talks about as a living thing, not simply a pipeline or a conduit where water runs through it, but rather it's living. You and I are alive spiritually in Christ. And we take up the water and the nourishment of God's word, the life of God, and the spirit of God at work in us assimilates that nutrient, that water, that nourishment into our very being. And the result is not just that our roots go deep, not that we grow strong only, but that our lives produce godly fruit. Fruit like that which is spoken of in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of God's character, the fruit of God's kingdom. And you know what? Fruit, by its nature, has seed in it. Fruit, as God produces these good things in us, relates to reproduction because the fruit of our lives is then sown out in the good seed of the kingdom so that other people then begin to draw in the life of Christ and come into a living relationship and grow in him as well. Yes, we are called to be in the world to sow that good fruit, but not to be of the world because the fruit in our lives as the people of God is different and it stands in stark contrast to the corrupted fruit of this world. And when we choose the path of life, which God has set before us, it leads us to a life of godly blessing and godly fruitfulness, the fruit of God's kingdom, producing fruit that reproduces the life of God in those around us as God's good seed is sown and the spirit of God works in other people's lives. Finally, in verses five through six, we have the way rejected. I'm not going to elaborate much on that today for the sake of time. But let's be clear. Rejecting God's path and its fruit bears another kind of fruit in our lives. Fruit that may even seem pleasing or tasteful, tasty for a season. But here are the end result. Look at verses four through six with me. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here again, what God calls us to. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. God calls us to daily choose to walk in the fullness of life that he has offered us, that he calls us to, that he empowers us to live and walk in bearing good fruit for his kingdom. I want to conclude this morning with a poem that is familiar to many of us. It's not a Christian poem, but I think it has great application for what we're talking about this morning. It's Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, 
and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for the, that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, it leaves no step had, in leaves no step had trodden back. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how the way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less travel by, and that has made all the difference. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you call us to life. And you call us by your grace to order our lives according to the priorities of your kingdom. May we take, Lord, that path less traveled by. The path of life in Christ. The path of godliness and joy and peace and righteousness in your kingdom. And may we experience the fullness of the blessings of your kingdom as we do that for the glory of your name. And Lord, may our lives and the life of this church bear fruit as we walk that path, difficult as it may be at times. May we walk that path in your grace and power and see good fruit sown in the lives of those around us in this community and around the world. Mold us, Lord, and shape us daily more and more into who you have designed and created us to be. And may we continue to draw up from you, from the life of Christ, walking your life in the power of your spirit and laying aside the things of this world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.